I want to read to you the lyrics of the oldest existing Christmas song. This is from at least the 8th century, so that's the 700s, so it's at least 1,200 years old. So when the uh, Christmas Scrooges tell you that Christmas is a pagan holiday and we can't celebrate it, you can tell them we've been doing it for 1,200 years at least. Obviously, this wasn't written in English because English didn't exist back then, at least not any English that any of us could read or understand. But uh, it is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. And I told you last week, I know most of you know, but Isaiah 7, Emmanuel is one of Jesus' names. It means God with us. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. The songwriter, when it when he or she uses the name Israel, that's not talking about national Jewish Israel. It's talking about the church as Israel in the New Covenant. The Israel of God is the church. And he uses the idea of Israel's exile at the end of the Old Testament to draw a picture about us living without God, that this is not our home. This is a strange land and we are waiting for God to redeem us into our real home, which is heaven. Verse 2, O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily. That's a reference to John 1 that says, by him, Jesus, all things were created, and everything that was created was created by him. He is the one who ordered all things mightily. To us, the path of knowledge show and teach us in its ways to go. The whole song is a prayer to Jesus. If you haven't caught that on yet. The next verse, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem. Branch of Jesse is another Old Testament name of Jesus that I did not tell you about last Sunday. There was lots of names of Jesus that I didn't go over last week. There's too many to cover in a 40-minute sermon. Branch of Jesse, Jesse is King David's father, and the Old Testament calls Jesus the root and branch of Jesse, meaning that Jesse and David came out of Jesus and Jesus came out of them. The picture is that Jesus is eternal, that he is the one who the heart of David came out of, but also Jesus is the son of David, he came out of David. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. That name is used in Isaiah 11.1. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave. The next verse, O come, O key of David, come. That's another name of Jesus that we did not talk about last Sunday. The key of David, he's named that in Isaiah 22, 2. And then in Revelation 3, 7, Jesus says, I hold the key of David. And what I lock, no one can open. And what I unlock, no one can shut. It speaks of his authority because if you have the keys, you're in charge. O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. O come, O bright and morning star. That's another name of Jesus that I did tell you about last Sunday. That's from Revelation twenty-two sixteen, where Jesus says, I am the bright and morning star. Which is the planet Venus that comes up every morning before sunrise? If you're up that early, you see it. Every morning, Venus comes up before the sun. I don't know why Jesus called himself the morning star, but he did. And bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night. And turn our darkness into light. 
O come, O King of nations, bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid our sad division cease and be yourself our King of peace. It's the oldest Christmas song there is and one of my favorites. The next one is Joy to the World. Joy to the World is 301 years old today. 1719, Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World. He used a tune from Handel. George Friedrich Handel wrote the music. Watts wrote the lyrics. If you know anything about hymns, which we don't do a whole lot of in this church, but um, the older hymns, Isaac Watts is a famous name. He wrote a lot of the hymns that the church used to sing in the last 300 years. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. When there was no room, we make room. I love his, uh, his juxtaposition here. He says, joy to the world and let earth receive her king and let every individual heart make him room. Because Jesus came to save the whole world and he came to save you. It's both at the same time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son but every individual person must make a decision. Am I going to make him my Lord and King or not? Let earth receive her King and let every heart prepare room. Room for what? His throne in your heart. Is he your King? And heaven and nature sing. And there's another opposite. Heaven, all of heaven and all of earth. Praise the name of Jesus. And heaven and nature sing. I'm just going to read you some Christmas carol lyrics this morning because they're so old and familiar to you. They're on in the background of your life and they go in one ear and out the other and I want to show you how much power and beauty and glory there is in the words that we sing. Verse 2, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. That doesn't mean hire your songs to do a job. It means let, sing. It just means sing. It's a poetic way of saying it, of course. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And that, of course, is a reference to Luke 19.40 where Jesus said, If you fail to worship me, I tell you the very rocks would cry out. Because God must be worshipped. And he always is worshipped. And in Isaiah 55.12, it says that the trees clap their hands and the mountains and hills dance and sing in the presence of God. Let fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Verse 3, no more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That's a reference to Genesis 3 where God curses the earth because of our sin. And he says, you're not going to get anything but weeds unless you till the ground by your own sweat. But Jesus, in Galatians 3, it says he became a curse for us to set us free from the curse of the law. Amen? In Revelation 22, at the end of the story, after Jesus returns and the earth is made new, it says, and there was no more curse. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove. That means he proves to the nations. The glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And wonders of his love. Amen. That is a really happy song. That is meant to be an exuberant, strong, emphatic declaration of praise. That he came to set us free as far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. Amen. Angels we have heard on high. The angels that came to the shepherds obviously, that were out in the hills beside Bethlehem. 
Sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echo back their joyous strains. Gloria in excelsis Deo is Latin. Gloria is glory, in excelsis is in the highest, and Deo is God. So that's, what, that's the song the angels sang, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Yes, Luke chapter 2, everybody with me? So they didn't sing it in Latin, it's recorded in Greek actually for us in the scripture, but the songwriter chose to write that line in Latin, and we sing it in Latin, and like singing along with the angels, it's a very angelic melody line that whoever wrote this song um, put in there, it's pretty amazing. But that's what you're singing, glory to God in the highest, and you're singing it in Latin. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why are you celebrating? Why your joyous strains prolong? Why are you so happy? Why are you singing? What the gladsome tidings be which inspire your heavenly song? And their answer is, glory to God in the highest. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Amen. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. He did come as a baby, but he isn't a sweet little baby Jesus that Will Ferrell prays to. I haven't seen that movie, but it, that scene disgusts me because he, he, he isn't a sweet little baby. He was a sweet little baby, but he's a, he's a lion. In 1735, two English brothers, John and Charles Wesley, came to the American colonies. There was no United States yet. 1735, so 40 years before the American Revolution, George Washington and all that. They came to the colony of Georgia, partly as a mission and partly as on official government business with the Anglican Church from England. They were only here one year in the colonies because they met some Moravian missionaries. If you don't know who the Moravians are, you need to know who Count Zinzendorf and the Moravians are. They were intense people. Moravia is an area in Eastern Europe that is inside of the Czech Republic and Slovakia, Romania. The Moravians were so intense in their commitment to Jesus. They had 24-hour prayer for 117 years. I'm not sure I exactly got that number right because I failed to look it up before service, but it was over 100 years, nonstop, uninterrupted, 24-hour prayer. Obviously, not the same people in the building the entire 117 years, but the congregation never stopped. Somebody, somebody kept the fire going at all hours. They sent missions all over the world, and especially to the American colonies. There were two young 20-something Moravians who wanted to go to the Bahamas to be evangelists on the sugarcane plantations to the, the black slaves that worked on the Caribbean islands. And the white slave traders told them, you will never, ever be allowed on our plantations to share Christianity with our slaves. Only slaves are allowed on the plantation. They said, only slaves? And they said, yes. And they said, then we sell ourselves to you and we will be your slaves. And they sold themselves, two of these 20-something white British men sold themselves as slaves to a slave ship trader, and they, he took them to Bahamas, and they worked on the slave plantations so they could share Jesus with the people that they were working next to. And as they were sailing off in the ship from England, never to be seen again, one of them shouted the very famous line, May the Lamb receive the reward of his suffering. When Jesus says, you take up your cross, he meant it. 
They were heard from again. They did not disappear into history. They both were back in Europe in three to five years' time. God turned their story around, but he honored their sacrifice. That's the Moravians. John and Charles Wesley came from England to Georgia, the colony of Georgia, and they met the Moravians, and they were so shocked by the love and the dedication and the devotion, the adoration of Jesus that nobody in the stone cathedrals and gold-plated churches of Europe had. Like, we have never seen this before. We have no understanding of what this is. That they had to go back to Europe to meet Count Zinzendorf and the leaders of the Moravians. And when they got there, they didn't use this language, but they both got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And John Wesley became one of the most famous preachers in world history. He preached 10,000 sermons in his life. Sometimes he would preach three and four times an hour each time. He was so, on, so uh, holy and on fire that he got kicked out of the Church of England because he would rebuke all the leaders for their worldliness and their, their sin. So he would just go out on the road in the country and preach at the people on the other side of the fence that were farming their fields. Or he'd stand in the middle of the street in, in an intersection, or he'd stand at a park and just preach at people as they went by on their sidewalk. But his brother Charles is famous for traveling with him and being the worship leader uh, that led the music at these meetings that they would have, and he wrote 6,500 hymns. Uh, he is universally acclaimed as the best songwriter in world history, and for sure in Christianity, and he wrote 6,500 hymns, and one of them is, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. If you're a hymn person, you probably know some other Charles Wesley songs, but I'm going to guess most people in the room don't. But you all know this one. Hark the herald angels sing. Hark means listen up. Herald is a messenger. Hark the herald angels sing. Listen up. The angels come with a message. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Now, that's not exactly what Luke says that the angel sang. He's using poetic license. But it is true. It's the message that... The angels came. God is reconciling you to him. You've been his enemies, but he has sent a savior. Joyful all you nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Late in time is an old British way of saying recently. Late in time, at the end of time. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. So it's a poem, so they put their words in a mixed up order to make them rhyme and fit the rhythm. It's not the way we speak. That says, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. It means see all of God veiled in his flesh. Jesus is all of God, and that's a reference to Colossians 2.9. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in his body. Colossians 2.9, all the fullness of God dwells in his body. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 also says the same thing, that he is the image of the invisible God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate means put on flesh. You all know carne in Spanish means meat. Incarnate is Latin, to, to come into meat. God came into meat. He came into flesh, the incarnate deity, God who became a man, pleased with us as in flesh to dwell, or the really old way that that says is pleased as man with man to dwell. God was pleased as a man to dwell with us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, 
Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. That's Malachi 2, 4. Those who fear the name of the Lord, the Son of, the son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings. Malachi 2, 4. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise us from the earth, born to give us second birth. I'm going to guess that you all have heard those, that line before. Philippians 2, 5 to 11 is the verse that says, he laid his glory aside and he made himself of no reputation, that he was God, but he put all that aside to become a man and dwell with us. And in John 17, the night before he was crucified, he prayed, God, Give them the glory that I had with you before this. There are two more verses that are usually not recorded in the uh, versions of this song. If you get a really old hymnal, you'd have verses 4 and 5. If you have Amy Grant's 1990s Christmas album, uh, she recorded these verses on hers. Come, desire of nations. That's the name for Jesus that I told you about last week. The desire of nations. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Make your home in us. Rise the woman's conquering seed. That's Genesis 3, where God promises Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head. Rise the woman's conquering seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. I, I love it, what Mr. Wesley did there. God says... Your seed, that's Jesus, will crush the serpent's head. That's Satan. Where did Charles Wesley put that battle? In you. It's not some cosmic battle in outer space or in the spirit world. Jesus is fighting a dragon. He's fighting the devil in you. In your heart. He's crushing the serpent's head in your attitude. In your words. In your godlessness. He's crushing the serpent's head. Now display thy saving power. Ruined nature now restore. Now in mystic union join thine to ours and ours to thine. Adam's likeness, Lord, efface. Efface means to erase. Erase Adam's likeness in me and stamp your image in its place. God, I don't want to look like fallen Adam. I want to look like you. Second Adam from above, that's not a biblical name of Jesus, but it's talking about Jesus because in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says Jesus is the last Adam. He doesn't use the word second Adam, he says the last Adam. And his point is, if all of us are condemned to hell because one man sinned, then all of us can be saved to heaven because one man did it perfect. Second Adam, that's Jesus, from above, reinstate us in thy love. Let us thee, though lost, regain, thee the life, the inner man, and owe to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, that means hurry. To bring him laud, that means praise or worship, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate? Mean estate means low conditions. Why is he in such humble situation, born in a barn, where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian, fear, for sinners here the silent word is pleading. That 
second half of that verse is just absolutely amazing. The songwriter, speaking to we believers, says, Christians, fear or be in awe. For sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Who is the word? It's Jesus, sleeping in a manger, is pleading for sinners. By his very existence, God is praying for the salvation of sinners through him in the manger. Well, that's a poetic thought, but it's based on Scripture. Romans 8 says he lives to continually intercede for us, to be the man-God, the God-man that lives between God and humanity, making intercession for us. Christians be in awe, Christian fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. So bring him incense, golden myrrh, come peasant and king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. It is true that both peasants, the shepherds, and Joseph and Mary, and kings, the magi, the wise men, both came to worship him. He includes everyone, and he gives access to everyone, and he receives everyone. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Make room in your heart. All right, the next one, probably most anybody younger than me, maybe not even ever heard of it, but I heard the bells on Christmas Day. If you were to go back 100 years ago from today, this was probably one of the most popular Christmas songs in America. It was written in 1863 by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was a poet and author. He's probably most famous for Listen, My Children, and You Will Hear the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. And he also wrote one called The Song of Hiawatha. And the older folks would know those, but probably the younger folks don't because you don't really learn anything in school anymore. Uh, <clears throat> Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And he wrote this poem, which was put to music later in 1863. What's going on in the U.S. in 1863? The Civil War. Yes. So Longfellow, in 1863, his 18-year-old son ran away from home to join the Union Army. They lived in Massachusetts and in Maine, but they were in Massachusetts at the time, and, and he, he left without his father's permission to join the Union Army to fight for the Union. On December 1st, Longfellow got a telegram that his son had been shot in the face and was gravely wounded and not likely to live. That was incorrect. He was not shot in the face. He was shot in the left shoulder, and it went through his chest and out the back of his right shoulder, missing his spine by less than an inch. So it was a terrible wound, very grievous, is in really bad shape, and they didn't have ibuprofen. This is in the day when you get a metal rod glowing hot and you just burn the wounds to close them off and you use axes and saws to get rid of legs and arms. And he is shot and he lived. So Longfellow is 57 years old. He's a widower. His wife had died two years earlier when her dress caught on fire and she burned to death. And he, try, he laid on her and rolled her up in a rug trying to put the fire out and it burned him so badly that he could not attend her funeral. And he couldn't shave after that because his face and neck and upper body were burned so bad. So any picture you see of Longfellow, he always has this really bushy white beard. Um, that w it was not his choice. He just, his skin was so misshapen that he couldn't shave. So he was 57 and he's raising 
five kids on his own, and his oldest son leaves home without his permission to go join the Union Army and gets grievously shot and is going to die. So he leaves the 17-year-old son in charge of three girls, 11, 8, and 5, and his uh, youngest daughter had died in infancy. He leaves them at home in Massachusetts, and he gets on the train to run and find his son before he dies. Goes to the Union camp, to the hospital, and his son is alive, and actually, at the end of the story, his son does survive through the month, and on Christmas morning, as he is walking through the countryside by himself, the bells of the local church in Cambridge, Massachusetts rings out, and he hears the Christmas ringing. Now, until 50 years ago, all churches had a steeple with a bell in it, and every Christmas, and other holidays also, but every Christmas morning, the bells would ring all through the entire world, anywhere there was a church. The Christmas bells rang, and the Christmas bells ring, and given his emotional state at the time, having lost his wife two years ago and previously lost an infant daughter, and now he thinks he might be losing a son, he hears the Christmas bells and he writes this poem. There is never a more appropriate Christmas poem for 2020. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unspoken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Make sure everybody catches that. He says, all day and all every year, the bells ring out Christmas, good peace on earth, but the, this year, the cannons have roared that out, over, overshadowed peace on earth. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's a beautiful, fascinating piece of language there. Said so the cannons of war are like an earthquake that has broken the hearthstones of the continent. A hearthstone in American architecture especially in the 16 to 1800s. The hearthstone is the big flat stone that would go under the fireplace and the chimney. And it was always the first thing that they laid. It was the foundation of the entire house. Then they would build the chimney on top of it, and then they would build the log cabin or the house around the chimney. You with me? So what he's saying is that the continent, America, the hearthstone, which is the foundation of everything, but it's also the kitchen. It's the heart of the home. It's where everything happens because they don't have appliances. Everything happens at the fireplace. And this beautiful, wonderful language of the tragedy that's happening, the hearthstone of the continent, meaning the foundation and the heart of the home, the heart of every family has been affected and broken by this terrible disaster. The households that were born of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, meaning the people who believe the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus and the gospel, we're not feeling peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We're forlorn. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. 
The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Amen. That's the Christmas song for this year. <laughs> Let the bells ring out. God is not dead, and he is not asleep. The right will prevail, and the wrong will fail. Because of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lastly, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining means longing in a depressing sense for something that you don't have. The world was longing in desperate, desperation for a, sa a Savior. We're pining away in our sin and our error. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. The second verse we did not just sing, and you hardly ever hear it. I, in fact, I don't know if I ever have. Most people that record this song do the first and third verses, but there is a second verse. Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials, born to be our friend. In all our trials, born to be our friend. That's a beautiful line. He knows our need to our weakness. He is no stranger. That's Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot understand our weaknesses, but is like us in every way except that he did not sin. That is the spiritual power of this holiday. Christmas didn't save us. Easter saved us. <laughs> but the, the spiritual power of this is that God became a man. He did not leave us to what we deserved, and he didn't call us from afar, outer space somewhere on the other side. He came to us. And didn't come to us as God, but he came to us as a peasant baby born in a barn. He knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king. Before him lowly bend. The third verse we just sang. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Now if I told you that this was translated into English in the 1840s by an American, what do you get out of those two lines there? Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. All oppression shall cease. What do you get out of that if it's 1840s America? This, guy, this guy's an abolitionist from the north, right? And he's writing that Jesus came to end slavery. Yes? But I'll tell you, the song is originally written in French a couple decades before by an atheist, and not just an atheist, unbeliever, but an anti-Christian Frenchman who was a celebrity songwriter, and some vicar or bishop in the Catholic Church needed a Christmas song for their service, so they asked the celebrity songwriter, who was anti-Christian, to write a song. So this guy who's not a Christian reads Luke chapter 2 and writes a song. It, this is all in French. And then he asks a Jewish man to write the music, who's also not a Christian believer. 
And the Catholics found out and they banned the song forever. So I went and got the original French lyrics, and I had a year and a half of French in high school, but I can't read a word of it. So I went to Google Translate, and I translated the French. Now, if you know anything about languages, you know you cannot translate songs and poems directly word for word like you can spoken words, because if you translated the original French song directly into English, word for word, it wouldn't fit the rhythm and it wouldn't fit the rhyme, hello, and it wouldn't be a song anymore. So this version is not actually a translation. It's like the American guy rewrote it in English using the ideas that the original French writer wrote. You with me? Okay, so it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read you the exact translation of the original French third verse. I'm just going to read it all to you. First verse, our English version is, Oh, Holy Night, starts out. French version is, Midnight, Christians, it is the solemn hour where the man-god came down to us to erase the original stain and from our father stop wrath. The whole world trembles with hope to a night which gives us a savior. People, get on your knees. Wait for your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. I think the atheist did pretty well. Third verse, the Redeemer broke all shackles. The earth is free and the sky is open. He sees a brother where was only a slave. Love unites those who were chained by iron. Who will tell him our gratitude? For it is all of us that he, for all of us that he is born, that he suffers and dies. Standing people, sing your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, sing your Redeemer. The Redeemer broke all shackles. The earth is free and the sky is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave, and love unites those who were chained by iron. That's not about abolition, getting rid of slavery in the South. That is, you were a slave, and Jesus calls you a brother. Listen to that line. Love ties those together who were chained by iron. We were bound in chains of sin, the iron of sin, and now we are bound together by the love of God. Written by an atheist. It's amazing. Okay, so that's the original version, but this is what we now sing in English. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Amen. Amen. This is the most powerful verse of any Christmas song ever. That is pure worship. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You're going to get a chance to worship to it again in just a second. But I have one other cool story to tell you, just as an aside, about relates to this story. So 1906, radio had been invented in the recent past, but all they could do with it was Morse code, telegraph, you know, beep, 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 beep. So they had had telegraph wires all across the continent, and then they laid a telegraph line across the Atlantic so that we could communicate with uh, Europe to North America, and, and it was just beep, beep, beep. And then radio was invented, but all they could do is Morse code. They could just send the, the beeps, and so they could send a radio broadcast across to ships in the ocean and across the Atlantic, but it could only be a beep because that was just a, a burst of energy. But they did not have any way to broadcast sound. 
like music or spoken word or whatever. In 1906, a Canadian man named Reginald Fessenden, I'm sure that's a household name for all of you, uh, Reginald Fessenden was in Nova Scotia trying to perfect a way to clarify the power in the radio transmitter so that he could translate spoken or music language. And he's fiddling around and he's tinkering with this and that and these settings and this power and this generator and so on. And he can only get a one-mile broadcast. He has a, a laboratory antenna set up a mile from his house and he can, he can sort of make this really staticky, garbled, ununderstandable broadcast of speech through a microphone. In mid-December 1906, the ship's off the Canadian coast as far as 25 miles out. The Morse code operators on their telegraphs on the ships are listening to what everybody's talking, and all of a sudden they hear for the very first time in world history, in the days of Caesar Augustus, there came a decree that everyone should return to his hometown. Reginald Fessenden read Luke chapter 2 over the radio. It was the very first vocal transmission over the airwaves. And then when he was done reading Luke chapter 2, he picked up his violin and he played O Holy Night. It is the very first song on the radio in world history. Folks, you have no idea how significant I think that is. That's like Buzz Aldrin taking communion on the moon. When the moon lander landed, I mean, the, like the world, the world, the history lessons in the high school textbooks don't give Jesus credit, but, but it's been nothing but filth since then on the airwaves. But the very first broadcast was O Holy Night, a few days before Christmas, 1906. Amen! Amen! So, if you're ever playing Trivial Pursuit and they ask you what the first radio broadcast was, it actually won't say that. They don't. They list another song because it was the first commercial broadcast from a radio station. But it was O Holy Night. This is an intensely worshipful Christmas song. It says, fall on your knees. I encourage you to do that. Jesus says, you Lord, get on your knees and worship me.